Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. Good to see you, Drew. JP, glad to be back with you, as always. The sun is shining through the windows. We've got the tea going. Another day for another conversation. Yeah, I'm very excited about today's conversation. I think it's going to be unique, and I think there are probably a certain set of ears uh, that need to hear this episode. We uh, we prayed before we started recording that God would bring this episode to whoever mm-hmm. needs to hear it. So uh, I think it's a really unique episode, and I'm excited about it. I know it's something I need to hear, and it's something I've thought a lot about in my years as ministry. We're going to talk about finding family in church as a single Christian. I look back on my years in ministry, and as Christians, we get so excited about marriage and we get so excited about families and kids that a lot of times we structure our churches all around married people with kids. Even the way we build our buildings with this is the adult married center and this is the kid center and teen center and various things like that. Yeah, I'm thinking about the church that I work at currently. If you go down to the basement where some of the old classrooms are, uh, still on the door, there's a sign that's been screwed into the door that says singles one singles too, uh, you know, talking about the different classes and age groups that would, would meet. And I, as I think about it, I'm grateful that my church focused on mm-hmm. groups of people that were single, groups of people that were married, people that were young adults, people that were older, mm-hmm. focusing on different people in different stages of life. I'm grateful that our church has a history of that. And I, yeah. we've seen that play out helpfully for our church. But it's just, it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, we have emphasis in the scriptures on you know, healthy marriages and having kids, but then Christians sometimes take it to a standpoint where it's almost like we're idolizing marriage and idolizing family. And I know from the time when I was single, the years when I was single, but also my friends uh, that are single, sometimes we can stigmatize celibate singleness in the church it's kind of a, a lesser than discipleship or, or kind of like this, well, someday you'll grow up and get married, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though Jesus was single and never <laughs> got married. And uh, and outside of Jesus, the, the most significant person of the first century church, the apostle Paul was single and never got married. So how can churches do a better job of being family for single believers? You know, just one quick story. Some years ago, we put in our church bulletin that we were going to have a family retreat. And this woman came up to me and said, she's a single woman, a widow. And she came up to me and said, can I go on the retreat? Because I don't have a family. And I was like, of of course. Like, I meant church family, right? But it was this idea that she felt, just the way we phrased it, kind of shut out of something. Yeah, it's interesting that the way churches tend to structure themselves you know, I talked about how I'm grateful that our church focused on different people and their different areas and stages of life that they're in. But churches sometimes, if they're not careful, they can tend to build their structure and build their classes and build all the things that go on on any given Sunday morning or Wednesday mm-hmm. or whenever your church meets. They can tend to build those things around marriages and families. And whether they realize it or not, they're saying that, you know, this is the ideal that we hold for people, that you would be married, that you would mm-hmm. have children. For some people, that's a really beautiful thing and a beautiful part of their story and part of their life. But sometimes there are people who are single. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want family or maybe they want 
a, a spouse or a partner and maybe they want kids, but they just get further on down the road in life and they just haven't found someone. Or like who we're going to talk to today, Peter Valk, who JP interviewed, they have a call to singleness and celibacy that they feel like God has instilled in their life. Yeah. So I, I, I want to do better on this issue and I want to I'd love to see a context where, where churches can think more deeply about being family to single folks. So anyway, I want to introduce us to a friend of mine who's probably made me think about this more than anyone else the last decade. His name is Peter Valk, and he has a very unique story. So Peter is a gay Christian man who lives according to the historical traditional sex ethic. So in short, he's single and he's celibate. Now, this episode is not about sexual ethics, like there's a lot of different tangents we could get to on this episode. We want to try to stay focused. We believe sexual ethics is an important conversation. It's definitely one that has shaped Peter's story, but you know, maybe we'll punt that to a future episode or something. As Peter will share, he leads a ministry called Equip, which helps churches have healthy biblical conversations about sexual ethics, and he works as a counselor. But today, as we listen to his story, I just want us to all consider how someone in his unique situation how are they supposed to find family? And how tragic it is that sometimes it's the church where they feel most lonely. And it pains me. Yeah, like we, we have these people in churches who who want the best for people who are single in the church. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how often we actually listen to these people who are single. Yeah, do we listen to their stories? And why does singleness so often in church cultures, and I'm I love church. I'm a part of a church. But why is it in church cultures, singleness makes us nervous? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's it's there's a lot going on in this story. uh, But I pray that that we'll listen to what Peter has to share. Yeah, let's get into it. Peter, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm thrilled for this opportunity. I find that Every time I hang out with you or get you in front of my church or my students, you have a way of phrasing things in a way that challenges every single person in the room. And so I'm confident this will be that same type of experience. Why don't we start off by you just telling us about your background, where you grew up, what things were like for you spiritually from a church perspective? Yeah, so I grew up in Northeast Tennessee, rural conservative Christian town and, and, and family. So a pretty typical experience in, in all of those ways. Uh, you know, everyone did church things, was at church three times a week, you know, uh, was taught that the Bible is how we know Jesus and uh, what the Bible says is, is self-evident and everyone agrees on what it says. And, you know, I think a big part of my story of, of faith was, I mean, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior at a Baptist uh, Reformed summer camp, I think summer after fourth grade. Um, but in many ways, kind of my appreciation for, for how I was broken and how the world was broken and why I needed a Savior, I didn't really understand it fully until in, in middle school, I realized I was gay. I realized I was attracted to other guys uh, in the ways that other guys were attracted to other girls. But I also kind of had been heard at least a simple explanation of, of kind of God. God is against homosexuality. God hates gay people in my church. So at the very least, I, I, I didn't think that God would bless kind of me seeking out a relationship with, with a dude. And, and so I had this sense that kind of I was off in some way, that something was wrong. Uh, also found the response from, from others 
in the church to be painful. So I, I had this deep sense that like, okay, this is why we need Jesus. <laughs> um, it seems like a lot of people uh, are off in a lot of ways. And, and, and this is the, the way in particular that I'm, that it's made clear to me that, that, that I need Jesus. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of my story since then, a lot of my faith journey has revolved around me making sense of, of my sexuality and how, how is God calling me to, to faithfully steward my sexuality and honor him and obey him and what is his best for me? What is what are the, the best things that God wants to offer me? And how is that still difficult and inconvenient in light of the fact that I live in a broken world that doesn't always make faithfulness convenient? Yeah, so that's a bit about kind of where I grew up beginnings of my faith journey and, and, and some of the things that have been most impactful. So it sounds like you were dealing with a lot from an early age and experiences that were, I, I would assume were very self-isolating. Yeah. I mean, I was terrified for people to find out that I was gay um, because I thought I would get hurt, rejected. Um, I mean, the possibility of being sent away to some pray the gay away camp was very real. And so uh, I had to, make sense of this all by myself. But it wasn't just like, oh, this one small area of my life, I had to be very private, but then everywhere else I was able to be transparent and vulnerable. You know, I was afraid that if I let anyone, anyone in at any depth, you know, I might accidentally let some of this gay stuff slip out. And so I think I, I became kind of emotionally and spiritually and psychologically isolated from my uh, parents and my friends in, 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 in most always in middle school all to make sure that this secret that may lead to people rejecting and hurting me stays a secret. So yeah, it was, it was not great. Uh, but unfortunately, it's a pretty typical experience of being in the closet. Um, uh, I mean, for, uh, I'm, a, I'm a licensed professional counselor uh, among um, a variety of things that kind of I do professionally these days. And, and I, I particularly meet with clients navigating faith and sexuality and kind of very common symptoms of the closet are anxiety, are loneliness, anxiety, depression, suicidality, loss of faith, different kind of levels of, uh, of addiction uh, to try to cope with the pain. So, so yeah, so some of those things were true for me. So specifically in your own life, you've reached, just from our conversations in the past, you reached the conclusion that you were called personally to celibacy. And how long ago did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, so, you know, long story short, um, I did date some, a couple of women in college and was very transparent with them about my sexuality. And I, you know, said, Hey, I think you're cool and you know, I'm gay, but like, do you want to go on a date and just like, see what happens? And like, for a couple of women that, that led to me actually developing a specific kind of desire for, for them. And so I knew that Christian marriage could work for me if that's what God had for me. But I also had read what the scriptures had to say about this singleness for the Lord, about the singleness of Jesus and Paul. And so uh, after college, uh, both of those seemed like options for me, possibilities for me. And I can't explain it any other way than maybe just to say that the Holy Spirit made clear to me that I wasn't supposed to just go choose and take what I wanted. That I was supposed to ask God if he had a preference, which gift he wanted to give me. And so I kind of entered into kind of an unintentional accidental discernment process. And about three or four years ago, it became clear to me that I think that God was calling me to the, to the singleness of Jesus and Paul, to a, to a lifetime vocation of abstinent singleness for the sake of doing kingdom work with undivided attention. I would love for you to speak to the conversation we've had in the past about 
as you decide, I feel like the Lord's leading me to singleness. How does the church handle people who talk the way you talk and have a perspective the way you have? Has the church been helpful, harmful with this desire to be single and to live vocational singleness? How is that going? Yeah, the um, it's been difficult, <laughs> and the and Christians have a there's a long history in the church of its kind of relationship with uh, celibacy and singleness for the Lord. You know, there were some really healthy ways, particularly in the early church, that lots of Christians were making commitments to to lifetime singleness for the sake of kingdom work and involved in their local churches and living in in communities with other single people, and it was really beautiful for the gospel. And then, and then some funky things started happening, you know, three or four or 500 years into the church, we, you know, going all the way up to kind of the abuses of celibacy uh, in the Catholic church that, that are were part of the, the origins of the Protestant Reformation, you know, but then the Protestant Reformation, you know, it, it seemed like Calvin and Luther kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And instead of kind of returning to what scripture had to say about celibacy, uh, they just they just ignored the passages of scripture about singleness for the Lord and taught that that marriage is for the vast majority of Christians, that celibacy is this extraordinary thing for people who are missionaries and God will sustain them spiritually. But we don't need to talk about celibacy in our churches and we certainly don't need to support celibacy in our churches. And we don't need to encourage anyone to discern celibacy in our churches. So, yeah, as I've been along this journey personally, uh, at, at best. I get um, curious looks and confusion from from other Christians. At worst, I get people telling me that I'm not doing my Christian duty to get married uh, to a woman and, and, and have babies for Jesus. I want to acknowledge that was heavy listening to him talk about that and, and the pain that he experience in isolation as he was wrestling with these things and whether it's this specific type of experience or other types of things I think we should hurt (laughs) when we hear stories like this about people suffering in silence about various things that they feel like they feel like they can't be open about what's really going on in their lives and I think I think kind of a foundational thing for our church communities is we need to be a place where people can be transparent and authentic about what's going on. And so for those that that are listening to this and maybe have an experience similar to Peter, or maybe it's different, but also kind of this suffering and silence type of thing, we acknowledge the pain you went through and pray that our communities can be better about giving people space to listen to one another. Yeah, I love that how Peter was talking about how he, he wanted to be a faithful steward of his in his case, sexuality, it might not be sexuality for everybody, but, you know, asking the question of how can I be a faithful steward of my, in this case, singleness mm-hmm. is what we're talking about. But that's a really, a really heavy question to ask. How can I honor and obey God? And if you're doing that in community, that's a heavy question. But if you're doing that alone in isolation, that's might be an even heavier question is how can I honor and obey God? Am I doing this by myself? Do I have community to do this with? And JP and I would advocate that our our churches should be places where we can ask those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. And we want single people to know that the church is a place where you can do that. You can ask those questions about honoring and obeying God in your stage of life because we we don't see you as 
just waiting until you mm-hmm. quote unquote graduate to a next level and then we can talk about different ways to honor and obey God or we can congratulate you for honoring and obeying God in marriage or whatever but in in Christian community we want to walk through those things with you few people in my life talk as enthusiastically <laughs> about vocational singleness as Peter yeah and it's inspiring to me because he talks about what the Bible says about this and why we're not talking about what the Bible says about this. And so some of us may be thinking, where in the Bible does it talk about <laughs> this idea of vocational singleness? And not to get into a long Bible study, although I would encourage folks to seek it out, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 does talk about how he wishes more people were like him as a single person. And he connects that with ministry. He connects that to kingdom living, kingdom opportunity. Jesus in Matthew 19 when asked about divorce, and he talks about marriage, he does talk about people who have, have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. A lot of interpretation that goes into that. And yet, there has been this this long history of seeing people that are called to sing on us for the good of the kingdom, and we've lost that discernment. And I'd, I'd love to see that come back on some level, instead of Peter just automatically experiencing this default suspicion that he's not out there getting married and having babies for Jesus type of thing. I love the, the the question that Peter asked. He said, I asked God what he wanted from me. Mm-hmm. And the answer that he got was singleness, but not just singleness for the sake of singleness, but it's singleness so that he could do kingdom work with undivided attention. Yeah. Maybe to, to walk away from a singleness conversation for a, a half a second, but we should be asking those questions of what is distracting us? What is pulling our attention away from serving God and doing kingdom work? work for the reconciliation of all things for peter it just happened to be sexual ethic and and singleness and all of that could benefit his ministry i think that's a really good question for us to ask asking god what he wants from us so that we can do kingdom work with undivided attention i love that and to see that in christian history there has been a place for the person that was single Mm -hmm. and i think our churches have been concerned about the quote-unquote breakdown of the family and once again i think marriage is awesome i think having kids is important and it's a calling but we've been so concerned about the quote-unquote threats to that that we've circled the wagons in a way that i think has made our churches less than hospitable at times for single folks and that's not just people in, in peter's situation who are called to singleness other people don't feel called to it they're looking for someone to marry but maybe many years goes by and they haven't found someone this would include people that are divorced people that have never gotten married elderly widows people in their 20s and 30s people are getting married later than they used to get married and uh and it's it's off-putting if we have an obsession with fixing people up no matter their age does it does it run the risk of saying you're not complete in and of yourself, so we need you to do this so that you can be a part of things here. Yeah, it's important to look at what our churches communicate in regard to that. So uh, JP and Peter continue to talk about that, and that's what we're going to hear in the next section about what can the church do to honor and celebrate singleness. I mean, I know just in my life experience, when when my dad was a single dad, when I was nine, 10, 11 years old, it was really obvious to me that he didn't really seem to fit in our church structure anymore. That our church structure, even the way that we did classes at church, the way we did ministries at church, it was for kids, teenagers, and married couples. 
And I think probably most people listening have had some type of experience where they were single or they had a friend that was single and said, oh, man, we're just kind of on the fringe here. We don't really fit. But I know you've had some ideas on how churches can really wrap their arms around people, both people that might be single temporarily, you know, while they're dating and haven't found a spouse or those that are that are called to more of a lifelong celibacy that you've been talking about here. How can churches do better? What are some of the things you've seen? Yeah, so kind of five things come to mind. I think number one, I mean, we've got to teach what the Bible has to say about all these things, right? And uh, I think there's plenty of places in scripture that, that talk about singleness, but I think we can also talk about kind of spiritual parents in our lives who weren't, maybe who weren't our biological parents, but who, you know, had a, an influence on our lives. So all these things can come up in church. So we've got to teach about it because what we teach about signals to our kids, what's valuable. Second, I think we've got to find ways to kind of, kind of honor and value and, and, and celebrate singleness. I think it's important to see it kind of modeled. So for example, I think we, we need, we need to have leaders in our churches who are single and celibate. One, because we've got to, we've got to, that helps signal to kids in our churches that this is a, a, a good option for them if they're called to it. Um, also, because I think celibate people have a lot of time and energy available to serve the church. So there's a, there's a, there's a benefit there. And I think uh, we've got to find some ways to kind of mark milestones in the lives of celibate people um, and celebrate those. I, you know, for some people, they may uh, want to make kind of a public commitment to singleness for the Lord and have a public kind of ceremony and a celebration connected to that. And then the anniversary of that commitment can be something that could be celebrated every year. So I think that's important for maybe a church to invite singles to consider doing that and to celebrate that with them. Um, I think we've got to invite everyone, every Christian young adult in our church to discern open-handedly with Jesus, whether God is calling them to vocational singleness or Christian marriage. I think that will lead to more people living out vocational singleness and therefore us supporting vocational singleness more because there's more of us doing it. And, and then um, I think a key thing is we've got to help vocational singles find family in the body of Christ. And I think in part that looks like just us doing uh, kind of large group fellowship events at our church. That looks like us having small groups that aren't just based on everyone in the same kind of stage of life, but is but it's kind of a mix of old and young and married and not and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's, you know, maybe married people being intentional about inviting single people to stuff in their home and not assuming that single people don't want to be around kids or don't want to be around couples, for example. But I think what's most important is our churches have got to help the single people find some experience of kind of lived in long-term family. And, and there's three ways to do that. I mean, one is uh, people can stay connected to their, their biological family. They can continue to live with parents or with brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles and, and kind of commit to living in their house and helping them raise any kids they might have and, and, and that be their kind of source of, of family in the body of Christ. Churches can connect single people with kind of unrelated nuclear families in their church, and they can even move into their, their house and, and help them raise their kids. You know, for example, I'm, uh, uh, I'm the godfather for a kid at our church, the, the church I go to, and an option on the table for me has been to move in with their family and help raise my godson and, and help raise their other kids and be a part of kind of that like larger family unit. And then another way that kind of celibate people can find family is through some form of intentional Christian community, whether that be a community of, of single people of the same sex 
a co-ed mix of single people or a mix of, of single people and married people in a larger experience of intentional Christian community. But all of those are, are options. And I think, if, you know, churches, gosh, there's so many resources that, that, that the church provides Christian marriages with how to do Christian marriage well. So many support structures. I mean, prepare and enrich, you know, pre-marriage counseling things and marriage retreats. And, and, we, and we do marriage ceremonies. We do all these things that nurture marriages and ought to. Marriage is a beautiful thing that God has created. We need as many structures and, and programming pieces and supportive elements to make vocational singleness happen. Well, I love how you talk about this. And I do, as you, as you mentioned this, I think of the times I saw this work well, you know, where families went up to someone and said, hey, you don't need to sit by yourself. You're always welcome to sit with us. And they kind of had a pew buddy at church, right? Like they always, mm -hmm. this single individual always sat with this other family or this other couple or people doing holidays together, or you're kind of, as you say, a godfather or kind of honorary family member that you're kind of always the plus one at birthday parties and kind of stuff like that. Yeah, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I mean, just yesterday, I got called into some emergency babysitting for my godson. So his, his dad is a, is a cop, and uh, he gets kind of called in to, to testify, and often without much notice. And so mom was working, and dad was working, and they didn't have babysitter plans. And so I went over there, and I'm taking care of my godson and his, and his, his baby sister. But it was, a, it was a delight. And like, I'm a part of that family. I mean, there's a trust that they have with me with their kids, and there's a the vulnerability that I have with my godson's parents um, that is really special and beautiful. And I think part of that is, you know, I don't think celibacy is a call to not be involved in the lives of kids. I think it's still, I think it's a call to labor alongside married friends and help them raise their kids. It just means that I can kind of support multiple families at one time and they need help. Uh, raising kids is a, is a tough job, or at least uh, I observe from the outside. <laughs> You're right. It is a tough job. <laughs> I love what you're saying here. And I think about, you know, at our church, the best Bible teacher we have at our church is a single lady. Hmm. And she is so good with our kids and our teenagers. I think of so many um, people even growing up that were single, but they were there to help my family, help my parents and single individuals that kind of helped me, as you say, kind of with, with child rearing and just kind of other types of things. And it all sounds so biblical. I mean, this is the picture we have in scripture about we're supposed to be family. We're supposed to be each other's family. Yes, yes. And yeah, and it's both to the benefit of the, yeah, the, the married people and to the, to the celibate people. JP, as we're sitting here listening to this interview and recording this podcast, I'm thinking to the different churches I've been a part of over the years, the single people who were a part of those communities. Mm -hmm. And they had so much to offer. Yeah. They had so much to contribute. They were the people who would pick up things at the drop of a hat and be there to support certain ministries or participate in certain things simply because they had the time and energy to do it. At one point, Peter said that maybe we need to have more leaders in the church mm -hmm. who are single and celibate because they have more time and energy to participate in certain things. I, I think that, no, I think that I know that our churches would not run mm -hmm. without those single people who really help out and are willing to give a lot of their 
time and energy and finances to the church. I think about our children's ministry. I have one woman that comes to mind who is an incredible Bible teacher. Mm -hmm. And if for some reason we told her that she couldn't participate in our children's ministry because she wasn't married, our children would be at a loss. Yeah. For sure. And other ministries at our church would be at a loss if it weren't for people who are single. So I, I, I love that Peter is really focusing on how not only can single people find a family mm-hmm. in church, but they are a part of the family yeah. in church. They, they are just as crucial to the picture as people who are married and having kids. And I was convicted when he talked about do we give more resources to help people do marriage well, to help people do singleness well? And I know the answer. It's a lot more resources on how to do marriage well. And so these single folks that are, they're doing so much at our churches, oftentimes they're doing it without us giving them a lot of support to do it well. That was convicting. Also reminded me of how many stories I've seen. You know how at church you often have like your pew or your chair. You always (laughs) sit and like people are such creatures of habit. I've seen this happen more than once where, a family will say to a single person, would you like to sit with us? And not just this week, but like every week, it'll be mm-hmm. a thing. Like yeah. we'll be, we'll be a part of it. And it's, it's neat to see that happen and to see that long-term just, it's no fun going to church and sitting by yourself. And I, and I get that. Yeah. I get that. I remember the years I was single, I would always try to find somebody to sit with because I didn't like sitting by myself. I don't know if I should tell the story or well, not. Then, well, then you definitely should. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Um, there is a, a single widowed woman who has joined our church recently, mm-hmm. and I connected her with uh, another woman in our community Mm -hmm. who was able to drive her to church every week. Oh, great. And they sit together in the pew every week. And I heard a story this past week about how someone was mistaken that they were actually sisters (laughs) and that they lived together. It's like, no, she just picks her up and she brings her to church every week. And it's, they've formed a really beautiful friendship. Uh, and I think that, that that's a, a great example of what can happen in our mm-hmm. churches, that people who need community yeah. can find that in our churches. I love that. And and lastly, I kept thinking, if we made our churches a place where we encourage singleness for the Lord and we saw that as a very viable option, how many people would that prevent from rushing into marriage? I mean, Drew, how many of our friends have we seen rush into marriage because they felt like they were incomplete? And obviously they get some of that message from our culture at large, but I think sometimes that message comes from the church that yeah. like you are incomplete if if you're not married and it would I think it would prevent some of that. So anyway, I think there's a lot to chew on in, in what Peter says and then what he's where he's about to take it is even more interesting. Yeah, I love what he's about to say about finding deep intentional community. I think we're all seeking it out in the way that Peter is doing it with his Nashville family of brothers. It's really unique, so don't turn off the podcast. Make sure you check out the last bit here. I'm grateful for your your witness and the conversation on this. Do you want to briefly talk about the the Nashville family of brothers and kind of what you're doing with that as we close? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, the particular way that I'm finding family is I'm, I'm Anglican which for those of y'all who aren't familiar with kind of lots of denominational stuff, it's some people joke that it's Catholic minus the Pope. <laughs> um, 
but it's you know uh, kind of more formal and traditional and it's it's the third largest uh christian denomination worldwide and and kind of one of the oldest christian uh traditions um alongside eastern Orth- not as old as eastern or the eastern orthodox church or the catholic church but the kind of third and third in line there as well in, in, the, in that way so so anyway i was meeting with kind of the pastor at my church and and i was sharing with him hey i think i'm called to this vocational singleness uh for the sake of the kingdom my only concern is how am i going to find family how am i going to find human family and he turned to me and he said and i'm, I'm really thankful for his honesty he said peter i don't know if you're going to find the kind of family human family that you need at this church anytime soon or at any church in Nashville. Wow. And he was able to answer this honestly because he, while he is, is, is married and has kids, he's kind of visited some monasteries frequently and has some friends who are celibate long-term. And so he kind of knows what level of family they need to be healthy. But then he said, but Peter, monasticism has been the most common way that celibate people have found family in the church. Monasticism has been the greatest source of theology in the church. Monasticism has been the greatest source of evangelism in the church. Monasticism has been the greatest source of social justice in the church. So I think you should consider trying to start some kind of modern contemporary monastery and find family there. And then from that monastery, teach our church how to do family in the body of Christ better. So that was like three or four (laughs) years ago. And, and, and since then, fast forward to now, I live in a house with four other guys who are all committed to, to singleness for the sake of the kingdom. And, and we call ourselves the Nashville family of brothers. We do, uh, we make kind of uh, long-term commitments to our community, to, to vocational singleness, um, to finding family with each other, to kind of living according to a common rule of life. Um, and to stewarding our finances modestly and generously, and to leverage um, our availability and singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, we do kind of morning prayer together every morning. We do a certain number of kind of meals together at the home, and we do kind of vacations and holidays together and alternate those with our biological families. But we all have kind of like normal jobs outside of the, the, the monastery, um, but we do feel like God is particularly calling us to to leverage our nine to five jobs for the sake of the kingdom. You know, we don't have kids and we have a lot of shared expenses. So we could afford to get paid less to do jobs that maybe are bringing forth the kingdom more quickly. And we're also still a part of our uh, local churches. Uh, you know, we, we are all committed to different local churches, to the, to the communities and missions of those local churches. So, you know, our, 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 our home is not our church. We're still a part of local churches. And, and we're also not like cloistered from our community in any ways. We live in the middle of the city. We're still connected to, to families like my, uh, my, my godson's family and, and have lots of friends and family outside of, of the natural family brothers that we spend lots of time with. But we've got a family, right? We, we know who we're, we're going to come home to after work. We know who's going to pick us up from the airport. We know who is available when we're having a tough day. You know, eventually some of us are going to make lifetime commitments to this community. We know who's going to be holding our hand when we die. Uh, that's what family is. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's what we're finding here. Well, I, I love hearing you talk about this. I think it's such, such an amazing thing. And I love what your minister told you. I mean, it's a historic thing. And we look at church history, we see how God has used communities like this uh, in the past. It's so great to see this type of thing being recaptured. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely odd. I mean, it's um, the way we're doing the National Family Brothers isn't the only way to do it. But we are trying to kind of rediscover a, a way to do kind of celibacy in community that that is kind of rich and kind of borrows from the best things that monasteries have done historically. Uh, what are the essential ingredients that we just we can't compromise on? Because centuries of celibates doing life together has proven, has demonstrated what the best formula is for doing family as much as celibates. But also on the things that, that aren't essential, how can we kind of make it fit the 21st century and make sure we are a resource to our local churches and to our local community? Because, you know, that's ultimately, I think, what God, I, I think God has called married people to this important and very difficult kingdom work of raising kids. And then I think God has called celibate people to use their availability from not doing that kingdom work to doing a bunch of other kingdom work that, and, and I, gosh, we do not need any reminders um, after this past year with political polarization and racial injustice and uh, the effects of co the widespread effects of COVID. We don't need any reminders, any more reminders that our world is broken and desperately needs some radical group of five to ten percent of Christians accepting a call to, to to abstinence singleness for the sake of the kingdom, and using all the energy they could be using for the important kingdom work to raise kids, to instead address all of this brokenness in our society with undivided attention. I think the need is great. I think the need is obvious, and and I hope that there are more believers in the coming generations that will say yes to to Jesus's invitation. Uh, Jesus' invitation in, in Matthew 19, some of you are called to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Those of you that can accept it should. Well, that's a good word, Peter, and I appreciate it. I'm thankful for this fresh expression uh, that you're a part of in the local church. I think Peter casts a vision for community in a way that probably exceeds what a lot of us have ever imagined. I would encourage us all to just sit with this a bit and think about it and, and kind of just do an audit of our relationships and how we're finding family and the people we know, how they're finding family, and how can we really embrace well, what Jesus says in the Gospels where he says, his family is everyone who does the will of the Father. Mm. And how can we see church as family? So I'm, I'm when I, every time I spend time with Peter, I feel I feel challenged and I feel encouraged. So I'm thankful for his voice, his witness, and his ministry. Yeah, I, and I'm grateful for the words from his minister who said to him that, from your way of living, teach our church how to do family in the body of Christ better. Mm -hmm. I hear that and I go, single people in our church can teach us how to do life in the body better. Yeah. We have so much to learn from single people. I've been blessed by single people in our church, JP. I know you have been blessed by those people. Whether called to singleness or celibacy, or whether you're just in the season of life where you haven't found a partner yet, or maybe you're still discerning what that means, mm. you have something to contribute to your church family. And if you're searching for that, and maybe you have been looking for something like that outside of a church family, we would encourage you to maybe consider looking in a church family for that. Mm -hmm. um, we, we pray that you would find people there to love you and support you as you walk through life, because we all walk through life, and it's better when we do it together. 
That sounds great. Drew, I enjoyed it. Let's do it again sometime. All right. How about the next episode? <laughs> um, if anyone's got some follow-up questions, because I know we opened up like 15 different cans of worms and then just let, <laughs> we them, left them sitting out there. Um, you can you can find me kind of on all platforms at Peter L. Volk. Now, it's spelled funny. My first name is Dutch. So it's P-I-E-T-E-R L V as in Victor A-L-K at Peter L. Vault on all platforms. You'll see some 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 free resources and some maybe some answers to your questions and some of the posts that I've posted. Uh, you can also just reach out to me on any of those platforms uh, with your questions and, and I'd love to be a resource and be helpful. Mm-hmm.